Thanks, Mark, choir, praise team. Thank you for being here tonight. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, we're in the second message in powerful Proverbs in a pandemic. That's three Ps. Try to say that real quick, and uh, you'll start popping them. And I want us to talk tonight about finding God's perspective. As the song just said, when you're in a crisis, you got to learn to trust God. In in the middle of that crisis, you got to trust Him more. And nothing gives us statements to hang on to, uh, like Proverbs. Uh, they are statements of wisdom from the wisest man who ever lived. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter one, Proverbs three, and Proverbs eight. But let me begin in Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think all of us would agree that you can be highly educated and lack wisdom. You can know a lot of stuff and not know what to do with it, and not have discernment and not have wisdom in, in how you act. You can know facts and not know how to act on them. The wise, the writer of Proverbs says, seek God's perspective. The fool thinks he knows it all. The wise has discernment. The fool just goes out and does whatever he, he thinks he ought to do. And so where, where do we find perspective? Uh, where do we find perspective on ethics, on right and wrong, on what real religion is, on family, on marriage, on faithfulness, on politics, on the church, regarding the word and truth? We live in a world that questions everything that those of us who have been raised on the Judeo-Christian ethic believe. It's coming unraveled. The boards are coming off. The doors are coming off the hinges. So where do we go and where do we help our children go to find God's perspective, to make wise decisions? Of course, you know these Proverbs are mostly written by Solomon. He's uh, probably middle age when these most of these are written down. And it's, he's the wisest man who ever lived, still the wisest man who ever lived. You know, I, I know sometimes we all think we're the wisest people that ever lived. Solomon thought of every possible scenario before we were ever born about things that we would come in contact in our lives and decisions that he, we would have to make. The problem was he had children that did not follow his ways. And he didn't even follow his own advice sometimes. 
But here we have ultimate decision making in Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. There are four points to this message, which means it's not a Baptist message. A, under the dangers of ignoring God's perspective, if you ignore it, your life will end up in the ditch. Proverbs 10, 17, he who forsakes reproof goes astray. God's done his part. It's our responsibility to act on it. If we ignore, we'll get off the narrow road and we'll end up in the ditch or on a detour. B, you'll believe God wants your opinion. Chapter 18 and verse 2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. You know, Not one time has the father ever turned to the son and said, what do you think Michael thinks about this? He doesn't want my opinion. He wants my surrender. He wants my obedience to him. He he doesn't care about what I think. What he thinks runs the day. Thirdly, C, if you ignore God's perspective, you'll resist repentance and having a renewed mind. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great anger shall bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. He's talking there about not having a will to change and a desire to change, to just be the way we've always been. And that's not having a renewed mind. D, you'll become defensive. If we don't get God's perspective, we become defensive. Chapter 29 and verse 9, a foolish man either rages or laughs, and there is no rest. Have you noticed how much we just want to argue these days? I mean, just everybody just wants to argue with somebody. You know, the the best way to watch television is with it off. I mean, everybody's just arguing with everybody. And everybody's, you you know, we live in a world that has so lost its ability to respect one another that everybody is talking over the other person. And you can never hear what anybody's saying because they're trying to grab the point and they're talking over each other. My mama would have said, son, you need to be quiet. Let them talk and then you can talk. She was right on that one. E, if you don't listen to God's perspective, you'll go silent and shut down. Proverbs 29 and verse 19. Though he understands, there will be no response. Uh, One of the things that uh, John Hempkin used to say uh, when he was here and was a layman, then he was on our staff, is, is you'd get in a discussion and John would just look at you and go, now tell me what I just said. Because he won't know if we were listening. You know, what, what did I just, what did you hear me say? And sometimes what I heard was not what he said. 
And it was a, it's a good thing to do. It's a good counseling technique. I don't, I don't do much counseling. I'm like John Bassanio. John Bassanio's office was on the second floor of First Baptist Houston. Mine's on the third floor. John said the last person I counseled jumped out the window. Because people, most people are just sitting there deciding what they're going to say before you even say what you're going to say. They don't really want counsel. They just want somebody to agree with them. And the, and the writer of Proverbs says, though he understands, there will be no response. You can pour into somebody, but if they don't respond, they don't have God's perspective. Second point, the favor you find in seeking God's perspective. These insights are how God tells us to think and to act. So if you look at chapter 1, you'll see the why of Proverbs, all in chapter 1. Uh, is the why of Proverbs. And let's just go through these words quickly. The first word is wisdom in verses 2 and 7. This particular word, now there's two different words for wisdom that he uses. In verses 2 and 7, this particular word is the broadest word for a combination of observation and prudence and sensitivity to God. So if I want to be sensitive to God, I want his wisdom. It's exhibiting God's character. In verse 3, it's a different word. That word is used 16 times and deals with the ability to apply wisdom. And success comes in the application of wisdom. He uses the word instruction in verses 2 and 3. That's correction in discipline. It's used 30 times in Proverbs. Instruction is the process of acquiring wisdom. And as I said this morning, you never learn anything when you're talking. It's the idea of building up one's character, of continuing to renew one's mind. Thirdly, there's understanding in verses 2 and 5 and 6. That's the ability to look into the heart of an issue and discern the differences that are at stake in your choices. To discern the differences that are at stake in your choices. Fourthly, there's wise behavior in verse 3. The Hebrew expresses the idea of shrewdness or, or cleverness. It, it means to, to have the wisdom to see behind something. To not just look on the surface, but to look behind something and to think your way through an issue. Not just the first thing that comes to mind, but to think your way through an issue. The fifth word is knowledge in verses 2 and 4. This is the pivotal word in the book. The root means is based on a word that means skill in hunting or skill in playing a musical instrument. Now, I obviously don't have much knowledge because I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn if I was out hunting, and if I played a musical instrument, you would all leave immediately. But this is a word that tells us that there's a skill. There's something that is learned. You don't just go out the first time and do it right. It's a learned behavior. This is a key word in books like Hosea and Jeremiah 
and the Gospel of John. It's parallel. This word knowledge in verses 2 and 4 is parallel to having the fear of the Lord, knowing and doing what God says. The sixth word is discretion, verse 4. That's the ability to devise wise plans after you have knowledge. Once I get this knowledge, I can devise wise plans, not just what I think, not just what I feel, but wise plans. There's learning in verse 5 to comprehend truth well enough to teach it. So the older we get, we want to comprehend truth so that when we need to teach someone that we're discipling or someone in our family truth, we know how to express that to them. We know how to teach them those principles. And then eight is wise counsel, verse five. This has to do with accurate guidance. It it literally means to steer on a right course. It's putting a ship in the right direction, to to steer on the right course. Wise counsel. When you get wise counsel or give wise counsel, you're helping someone be on the right course and go in the right direction. You know, if you follow a compass and that compass is one degree off, you will never get to the North Pole. I mean, if you leave Albany, Georgia with a compass and you think, I'm going to the North Pole, I'm going due north according to my compass, you'll end up in Greenland somewhere or somewhere out in the North Sea even because every step you take is further off the path of due north. That's why mariners set their course by the stars because the stars are dependable. Thirdly, the fruit of wisdom And God's perspective, that's chapter 8. That's chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 36. Now what Solomon is doing here is he's telling us how to live without regrets and how to apply wisdom to our lives and living according to the will of God. So I'm going to give you, there's some statements that were in your notes that you could pull up on the app, but... I'm going to give you some statements about wisdom. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we see wisdom as a guide. As a guide. Ken Jenkins often talks about when he goes out west, he gets a Native guide, a Native American guide who knows the terrain, who knows the area. And a few years ago, he, he lost his bearings, and he had no cell phone service. And he finally climbed his way, pitch black dark, out in the mountains out west, climbed his way to the top of a hill, and he got half a bar of service. And he called, and he found his guide, and his guide said to him, "Can you?" and all his guide had was the flashlight on his phone. And he said to him, just walk toward the light. Good advice. Good advice. Chapter 8, verses 6 through 13, we see wisdom as a way of life. It's not just something we do occasionally. It's the way we are supposed to live. We are supposed to live as wise people. Verses 14 through 21, wisdom is rewarded. God rewards the wise. 
Chapter 8, verses 22 through 31, we see God's wisdom in creation. I, I know the Big Bang Theory was a very popular TV show, but it's a lousy philosophy. I mean, this, this, things didn't just blow up and we all of a sudden got here. There's a God of order in creation, and if for one millisecond he took his hand off his creation, gravity disappeared, we'd all be gone. If the sun moved one inch, if the earth moved off its axis, we would be in chaos. God did not create chaos. He created order and beauty. When you look at the sky and when you look at the stars, you see the order of heaven, and we can't even see half of it. Somebody asked Ron Dunn, well, if God created that, why did he do it? Why did he put all that stuff up in space? And why all those planets and, and just one planet where he put people on it and those people sinned and he sent his son to die? And Ron said, because. And the person said to him, well, that doesn't make any sense. He said, it doesn't have to. God so loved the world, this world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did God put all that creation out there? Why are all those stars in space? Well, first of all, for Abraham. Abraham, go out and count the stars. You can't count them, so just go ahead and forget about it, Abraham, because I'm going to give you descendants that are more than the stars that you can count. Why did God cause creation to come into existence? Because one day there would be a star that would guide wise men to a manger. Why did God do creation? Because Romans 1 says God has revealed himself in creation and those who reject God who has revealed himself in creation are without excuse. Creation is a part of God's witness of himself. Chapter 8, verses 32 through 36, we see the response that God wants. The response that he wants to wisdom. You know, I did a lot. I did a lot of discipleship when I was in youth ministry, and and had discipleship groups, and uh, loved doing that. Loved discipling kids. I remember having a very small office. In fact, my office in Spartanburg uh, was our offices were in the old parsonage, and so my office was the nursery, and so the youth minister's office had pink elephants on it. It was either an office for drunks or babies. I'm not sure which one. but So we'd have discipleship in there, and kids would sit on the floor. And I loved doing that. I, I, I loved doing that. And I realized there was a flaw in my teaching of kids. Because I would say, you need to have a quiet time, and you need to spend time in the Word. Because you need to discipline yourself to have a quiet time and spend time in the Word. And then I read Robert Munger's little bitty book, about 20 pages, called My Heart, Christ Home. And in that book, Munger says, the reason for spending time with God is because God wants to spend time with you. Let me read you just a section, just a portion out of that little book. The trouble is that you have been thinking of the quiet time of Bible study and prayer 
as a means for your own spiritual growth. This is true. But you have forgotten that this hour means something to me also. Remember, I love you. At a great cost, I have redeemed you. I value your fellowship. Just to have you look up into my face warms my heart. Don't neglect this hour, if only for my sake. Whether or not you want to be with me, remember I want to be with you. I really love you. That's a wise God saying, I want to spend time with my creation. I want to spend time with those that have been redeemed by my son. I want to build fellowship and relationship and intimacy with you. And in, in Proverbs 8, wisdom is crying out into the streets. I mean, we have a lot of things happening in the streets in the world today, but wisdom is not crying out in the streets. But God is not silent about how he wants us to think, nor is he silent about how he wants us to act. You see, we, we, talk, we just finished talking about wisdom and instruction and understanding and wise behavior and knowledge and discretion and learning and wise counsel. The, the question is, does the world see those characteristics in us? You know, when you remove absolute truth from a nation, from a family, from a church, from an individual, you end up with chaos and you end up in bondage. We've made idols of alliances and power and pleasure and prestige and politics and money and popularity. But know this, anything that takes precedent over the authority of scripture will ultimately lead you off a cliff. Anything. Well, those are good things. But if it takes precedent over the wisdom, and when God spoke, number one, he didn't stutter, and when he spoke, he spoke for our good. And when God spoke through his son and through the word, through the law and through the prophets, when God spoke, he warned us of things that would hurt us, and he told us of the things that would bless us. And if we want the blessings of God, we do what he says, if we want to see the consequences of not doing it, just ignore what God says in his word. I don't know if it's D.L. Moody. It may have been D.L. Moody. I've forgotten. But somebody long before me said that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. You see, when I have to ask myself and check myself, where do I look when I need answers? Where do I go when I need to make decisions? Where do I turn when I'm faced with a problem? Our issue is, too often, even for those who say they love God, He is the last resort and not the first option. After we've run all our rabbit trails and talked to everybody to see what their opinion is, then and only then do we go to God. It's like the woman who is at prayer meeting and, and somebody stood up and said, we need to pray about something. And she said, oh, dear God, has it come to that? God is our first choice, not our last choice. 
Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom and truth. Proverbs 8, verses 6 through 13, we see wisdom is the right path. His ways are excellent. Wisdom is God's perspective to those who are prudent, who want to be wise, who want to make right decisions. His truth is always truth. What God says didn't change in 2020. What God said 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or whenever it was written and recorded in Holy Scripture, what God said is true, period, end of discussion. It's not about how I feel about it. It's not what I think about it. Listen, I went to a, a, a liberal seminary at the time where they didn't believe anything about the Bible. They spent the whole time trying to talk us into the Bible was just another book. The miracles didn't happen, and the Bible was full of fables that there was no David and Goliath. There was no first 11 chapters of the, of the book of Genesis, and they tried to undermine everything I'd learned from most of my not as educated Sunday school teachers but I found out that God's word is true and those men were liars. Listen, you want to stake your life on something? Stake your life on the promises of the word of God. Billy Graham went out one day, he began to doubt God's word, and he went out in the woods and he stayed there until he could say, God, I take your word for what it is. That's why when Billy Graham preached, you would hear him say multiple times in the sermon, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Why? Because the authority is not Billy Graham. The authority is the Bible. The Bible's not the authority. I'm not the authority. I just happen to be a messenger, one of many messengers of the authority of the Word of God. Here's the fact. When I know the truth, I can recognize the schemes of the devil and the frailty of my flesh. When I have wisdom, I can see what the devil's trying to throw. I can see the curveball that's coming. I, I can see the problem that is coming. I can see beyond the moment and ask God for wisdom, even in that moment, and make a decision in that moment, not based on my feelings, are my opinions, but if I take a breath and say, Holy Spirit of God, you've given me a word, you've given me your promises, you told me that you would give me the peace of God which passes all understanding, and the God of peace will guide you. Lord, I need that right now. That overcomes the frailty of my flesh, and it also helps me to address the attacks of the enemy. Jesus said he was the truth, and because of Jesus, we know how to meet the lies of the world, Head on. Look at verse 12 of Proverbs chapter 8. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. This is where wisdom lives. And I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. So look at what he says. Verse 13 tells us four things that God hates, the, that bring about the wrath of God. Pride, my rights, my way, my demands, I get my way or I'm not happy. Arrogance, to be arrogant is to act opposite of humility. Arrogance. Pride and arrogance pretty much go hand in hand. The evil way, that's the opposite of the path of righteousness. 
the evil way would be the opposite of the Beatitudes and how we are supposed to live according to the Beatitudes and the perverted mouth. What comes out of us is what's on the inside of us. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 10, he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Lastly, the faith that expresses God's perspective. The faith that expresses God's perspective. So this kind of takes us back to the second point. Go to chapter 3 if you would. You know these verses. These are familiar verses, as familiar as any verses in all of Proverbs. And they are reassuring and they are verses that you can build your life on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not some of your heart, not just when it's convenient. Trust him in all your heart. So look at it. Trust in the Lord. That means to take refuge or to find security that God is in control with all your heart, surrendering to God, resting with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that God, you know what's best. You know what's best. I, I may think I know what's best, but you know what's best. Lean not on your own understanding. That's the idea of trying to figure something out on my own. Lean not on your own understanding. You ever done anything and somebody said, why'd you do that? I don't know, I wasn't thinking. The writer of Proverbs says, don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on what God says and what God's word says. In all your ways, acknowledge him. See God in the situation. If you can't see him in the situation, wait for him. Wait and see. God will say yes. He will say no. He will say wait and see. Or he will say, I've already told you what to do in the word. You're just not doing it. It's the key to staying in the battle. And then he will make your paths straight. This is a promise from God. He will make your paths straight. So, so many people today don't know where to go or what to do or how to do it. And it's because we've taken the word out of our lives and we're going on half-truths and we quote things and we think they're in the Bible and they were really in Reader's Digest. And, and we don't fall back on the Word of God. H.A. Ironside was blind when he died, wrote commentaries on every book of the Bible. And as he lay dying, they asked him if he had anything to say and he asked for a copy of the Scriptures. Here's a man that wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible. And this is what Ironside, these were his last words. I wish I had read this book more and other books less. Folks, I, I know there are parts that are hard to understand. I mean, you get in there and, and get in Leviticus, but everything in Leviticus points to Christ. Everything in Leviticus points to Christ. 
the, the journey through the wilderness, all those stories are there because you get to Corinthians and Paul says, these things happened as examples to us so we don't make the same mistakes they made and end up in the wilderness for 40 years because they wouldn't listen to God. They listened to a majority report. If you, you know, it's the last, by the way, it's the last time God ever formed a committee. He sent 12 out, two came back, believing God, and 10 came back and said, there are giants in the land. Wisdom. Find God's perspective. 